This is Talking Ears. My name is Frank Wardinger. This episode's special guest is composer and musician Emily Sankofa. She has had a very busy year in 2023. Since recording this episode in the early summer, she has released two new original soundtracks for The Other Black Girl on Hulu and Project CC on Disney. In this episode, we're going to be talking mostly about her soundtrack for Three Ways, as well as her 2019 critically acclaimed album, Geometry. When hearing Emily's music, the first words that come to my mind are prolific, eclectic, in some ways eccentric. To quote one of her earlier songs, everything we do is music, and I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Quick production note. Our co-producer, Juan Vazquez, joined us in the beginning of the interview, but had to leave partway through. So his voice will be missing in the second half of this episode. I saw one of my peers the other day talking about her ears ringing. And it's like, you know, it's been going on for about a month now. And I'm like, hey, uh you probably damaged something. Yeah. It's like the ear is one of those things where it all it only takes one time for something to happen to where it's like it really impacts the rest of your life and it can make things uncomfortable, not even just with your hearing, but with how you perceive things. Like it can mess your whole, the whole equilibrium of your body up. Yeah. And that's just not a space that I want to be in. So I'm just very mindful about that. And I'm always trying to encourage my friends. Um, and, and really the thing that gets them is just telling them, hey, if you damage these, they don't grow back. So. Squares. Loving you is kind of square. It feels like I'm inside of these boxes. The box I played with as a kid Well, anything I wanted could be true But not really cause I can't have you So now we're back to this box Just a brown boring box The one you give me I loved how you were saying that, you know, it's all about the sound and not just the the visual part of how we experience the world. Is that how you kind of think about music as well? And it's almost a, a question that kind of comes up, not in arguments, but in discussions, particularly with us audiologists. What is your favorite sense and why is it? Yeah. So the way that we think as audiologists generally is that our sense of hearing is our favorite sense or arguably our most important as human beings, partly because we love it and we love art and music being that medium. Okay, so yes. First and foremost, I think about my ears as a safety tool first. Mm. I read this book called In Pursuit of Silence. Mm. Yeah. And I, I already understood that our world, in terms of the Western culture, I already understood that, that our world was relatively noisy. But when you zoom out 
and you um, get an opportunity to read about how people are listening in other parts of the world, you start to realize that, hey, we might not be using our ears properly. Mm-hmm. And we might also be damaging um, our cognitive responses by the way we consume media and just the way we position sound in our world. Yeah. And so... As a musician, that's a tricky thing. Like, you know, as a composer and a musician, that's a tricky thing because, you know, people are always like, what are you listening to? And do you listen to this? And do you listen to that? And I'm like, unfortunately, my world, whenever I can control it, is very quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also am a big fan of John Cage and his philosophy around sound and mm-hmm. also the way music functions in the world and right. the fact that everything is music mm-hmm. yeah. and when i move through the world sound to me like i'm always perceiving the rhythm of everything the rhythm of the hustle and bustle I like even sometimes when i'm composing or i'm working on something and i may hear a sound outside sometimes i get a little confused because the pitch of that thing blends and I'm like, wait, did I just do that? Or what? Like, mm-hmm. and, and it, when I realized it was an external thing, I'm like, oh man, this is the world speaking to me and giving me ideas about like what's next for this piece. hundred percent. And so I'm just constantly listening to my environment and trying to understand the characteristics of my environment in relation to my safety and just also in relation to my work And so for me, it's like music in general and even things that we digest as like consumers, that's a small piece of how I perceive sound and music. And it's a more organized format that we can kind of control. But I enjoy the randomness of what the world creates sonically. Number one, I've been a musician all of my life, and I didn't really start thinking about um, sound as a storytelling element until I went to grad school mm. at SCAD, and that's uh, the Savannah College of Art and Design. And um, I did my master's there in sound design, and that was kind of the opening to this world of how to actively think about what sound is communicating to us, um, how loud it is, how quiet it is, how, you know, where it's positioned, 
um, the frequency, whether it's a high, high tone, high pitch or a low pitch. Um, and also just the psychology behind that and how people are perceiving these things in terms of processing what they're viewing. And so, um, you know, as a musician or, and even as a composer, especially in this day and age where we have, um, instruments that go beyond the acoustic realm, you know, there's an opportunity to tote the line between music and sound. Like on some of the projects that I've worked on, I've had the opportunity to kind of blur those lines and play with sound as a storytelling element. And what's interesting to me too, is that like a lot of times when I'm working with filmmakers, they don't quite understand how to leverage sound as a storytelling element. Right, there's and, such power to it. Yeah, and and that's actually the scariest part of the filmmaking process for them because it's like one of those things that they're afraid to touch or they just don't feel like they have the knowledge to, I guess, articulate what they want creatively. And so it's always fun but sometimes challenging to be in this realm because there are so many possibilities. It's, it's about... Um, Oftentimes, especially in this space, it's like, well, do you want um, do you want this to be a fantasy world? Because if so, we can play with sound in a lot of different ways that may not be realistic to how we perceive and interpret sound in the real world. Do you want this to kind of be like a seamless or transparent situation where people are essentially interpreting what they're seeing as if it happened on set? You know what I'm Ooh, saying? Yeah. Because that's the other disconnect is that. Even consumers, they don't always realize that what they're seeing was cut to picture or edited in, aside from sometimes the production sound, if it's really good. But a lot of the times the production sound is just there as a reference point for, you know, what takes place after the fact when we're possibly um, re-recording dialogue and cutting in effects so that we can build a sonic narrative around what's being done or what's happening visually. Similar to how, you know, people create musical motifs, like the 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 easiest thing for people to acknowledge is the Star Wars with the Darth Vader. Every time we see or think about Darth Vader, it's that dump, jump, da 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 dump, da 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 dump. So it's like that's that's a a very recognizable example. But a lot of times people don't acknowledge or understand how sound and and being particular about the design in that area in terms of the effects or things that we hear like that can be leveraged as well as a storytelling element. Especially like I, I see it a lot in horror movies. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen Swarm. I haven't. By Donald Glover, mm. but he used the bees as a motif. Ooh. Yeah. So so this like sounds <laughs> outside of music, which also again the lines are blurred yeah. because really everything is music. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just understanding 
how these things can be leveraged to communicate. Because even still, I always tell people, I think I told you this too, you can close your eyes, but you can't close your ears. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there's story. the story is still happening when someone is not looking. Mm-hmm. And so how is that happening if sound is not communicating that? You know what I mean? Completely. Um, I think Fruitvale Station was a was a film that didn't have any music or it didn't have that much music. So it's like, okay, cool. We're not leveraging music as an emotional storytelling element, but there's the dialogue. There's the sounds within the environments that are telling you like what's happening or giving you insight into what's happening. And I also think about radio in the very early stages where people used to listen to sports events. Yeah using radio like and it was kind of like you had to use your imagination based on how sound was telling the story Mm -hmm. for you you know what i mean yeah it reminds me of that film contact it's almost like the sound is the character and it's it's so prevalent to the story and it's meaningful i think that was something that i took away from it is that Mm. it's such a meaningful thing but it's often overlooked i think because it is something that's invisible and we're such a sight-focused society a lot of the times and so i love how you how you put that I mean, while we're talking about this, I usually bring this question Mm -hmm. in a little bit later, but I don't know if this is something you've ever thought about before. We usually ask this question just to kind of get to think about sound very much in the same way that you started this conversation right off with, how important it is and how Mm -hmm. we don't really care about it enough as a society. But I like to ask the question of what is your favorite sound? My favorite sound? Yeah, it's a hard question. That is a very hard question. I recently rewrote, so, okay, so I just wrote this thing for my website um, that just describes, like, who I am and what I'm interested in working on and just the types of people that I'm interested in collaborating with. And and in that little spiel, um, I say basically that I don't have a, fa- a favorite genre. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of good stories. Mm. There's also a quote that one of my professors in college used to say. Um, no, he said there's only good and bad music. Yeah. It's Duke Ellington quote, and, right? Yes, Duke Ellington. Yeah. Um, it's on, There's only good and bad music. And so, you know, whenever someone asks me questions about what my favorite thing is it's just that it's so hard because I'm a fan of the things that are good Mm -hmm. and that's also something that's relative because I feel like we all function in our individual universes and what's good in my universe may not be good in yours yeah 
I really enjoy the sound of nails tapping on a desk. Mm. Now, as a sound designer, because the nails thing is really curious, because a lot of people, <laughs> whenever you hear nails, they clench up because they think you're going to say all the chalkboard yeah. kind of related stuff. But I know that sound that you're talking about. It's, it's got a really cool yes. percussive sharpness to yeah. it. Yeah. But it also mm -hmm. implies a human behavior. It tells a whole story, it right? Because it's like waiting and anticipation and, and, and patience, right? What What is it about that sound yeah. as a sound designer to you? Is it is it the story or is it like just the nature of the sound itself? Well... What's interesting about that, too, is that culturally, so like as a black woman, I'm around a lot of other black women that have um, very long nails. Mm. Right. And so, you know, I don't know if you know, but there's like a whole culture of like the designs. They're sometimes very elaborate. Sometimes they're very simple. Mm. Um, but the but the visual narrative of black women's nails is like an entirely different thing, too. And so that sound, like when they're just clacking their nails together or like tapping them on a desk, it's just like something about that sound. It's like, oh, I know there's a black woman in this room. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just like, or, or, um, I don't know. Again, it's, it's also like what you said, you can kind of assume that somebody's anxious about something or even like sometimes depending on how fast they're doing it, they may be upset. But it's really like, I don't even know why I like it. Mm -hmm. It's soothing. It's something about it that's soothing to me. That's so interesting. You turn into like, that. It's a cultural perspective yeah. too. Yeah. Because yeah. the sound, it tells a story, not just about the person, but also about like the greater culture around them. Yeah. That is, Yeah. that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to sit in that one for a second. Definitely. What you said with, you know, John Cage and how yes. not just even, you know, famously use of silence, but really embracing either stillness or whatever random sounds that the world mm -hmm. brings, provides, or creates, or just happens, you know, it's such a, to me, it's such a deep, almost philosophical, um, transcendent experience, you know, and one that isn't always observed or even appreciated. So I love that you had, had mentioned that because that's something that I think about often, for sure. And simple sounds can be musical. Yeah. Um, so when I was at SCAD, I was living in Savannah um, while I was in school there, and I lived near some train tracks. And every time the train would go by, especially like in the quiet of the night. I love the way that the, like the chords, it sound like jazz chords. Mm. Um, and you could hear it. And as it passed, it would like bend, like the sound of it would bend too. So it just sounded very musical. And I just, that was also something that was very like soothing to me hearing the trains. Cause you could hear it like off in the distance mm -hmm. and it, it just sounded like this brass band, like, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times I would get ideas for chords listening to the trains. And I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. 
And it really depended on the time of the day too, that it would pass by. Um, and even just the way, the nature of like how the air was moving that day too, because that also impacted like how it sounded and also how fast the trains were moving. Because like as they're passing, the sound is moving away a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And so the the sound of the, the train horn is like bending a lot sooner and the, t- the, the nature of it is like changing and all of that. I'm like, oh, that's definitely one of my favorite sounds. And then the one that I w- was trying to remember, which it, this is also very strange, <laughs> the sound of leather bending and moving, like especially when people have a bunch of it on, like you think about the Western movies where people are like getting on the saddles or just like wearing all this and it's like crunching and stuff like that. Yeah. I love that sound so much. I love that sound too. I don't know why. That's like 90% of the reason why people like motorcycles, I think. <laughs> Is the leather. That might be it. The story that that also tells me a lot of times is like the age or like the quality or like just how worn it is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I It's it's almost like um when you look at a tree and you're looking to see how many rings it has and it tells you like, oh, this tree is this. But sometimes I just love, I love to hear like worn leather as it moves and then even just hearing like you know freshly freshly opened leather that's like never been worn and you're putting it on and it's even like boots and shoes but but yeah that's definitely um something that's like oh, I love that that's really cool again it goes back to storytelling yeah like the sound is telling the history and the story and the and the hidden you know the hidden bits there The way that you tell your stories in soundtrack now, it's a little bit different than sound design, but honestly, I was listening to a soundtrack that you did very recently for Three Ways. Half the tracks are these beautiful lush orchestrations with like energy (laughs) and like mixing of a million cool styles and blurring it all together and really, really like character driven music. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of them are just drums and percussion. I was kind of like at the edge of my seat because I'm like, I feel like I know this character. Like the just the drums alone Ooh, tell such a so tell such a character. Yeah. So this this is actually um, Nate Laguza, ah. and so let's even back up, right? Yeah, yeah. Three ways. It's a sex comedy. It's about. A threesome, essentially, right? A threesome gone, not necessarily wrong, but different than what all the involved parties expected. Sure. In doing this film, the director comes to me and he's he mentions um, Jackie Brown. I think that's the name of the film. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, this film doesn't have a score, but this is the tone that we're going with visually. And... If you can like pull a sound from what you're seeing in terms of what I'm creating visually, like 
you know, that's what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you can envision like a score for this film, that's what I'm going for. And so I'm like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Because a lot of times directors, um, they have reference music and they have um, oftentimes films that were inspired or that inspired their idea for their film. And so there's some type of foundation that you can kind of like see what their vision is. But for this, there was not that except for like an old, an older film, right? With no score. And so, you know, I had just listened um, to the Birdman score, which I don't know if you know that score, score. but it's it's completely percussive, like just Mm -hmm. full on drum set. So anxiety ridden. (laughs) Yeah, and so I'm listening to that, and I start I, I start searching. I'm like, okay, who else has done something like this? And obviously, I understand why most people don't. Number one, it's very risky. Number two, it's very hard to communicate certain emotions with just drums only unless you're leveraging other percussive yeah. instruments that have melodic, you know, different tones and pitches and mm-hmm. things that can kind of function. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm like, ooh, I don't have this hard template. Like, I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna do it this way. What I did was I built the themes on the drums, and really most of the themes um, out using Morse code. As yeah. and I use Morse code in my work Ge- in general. Geometry too. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that idea started, because when I created that project, I started with the songs like I made the songs circles, triangles and squares. I had done them and I kept listening to them over and over and they just weren't gelling. It wasn't flowing. They felt like songs from three different projects. Mm. But the thing is, I created them with a unified theme in mind and it was a story but I didn't have anything to tie them together. And I have to say, it's a story so, very similar, at least thematically, yes. to Three Ways. I wonder if they exactly. heard your uh, album and said, this is the right person for this. Well, ironically enough, Triangles is in Three Ways. And oh, nice. so, Oh, I did so, see that in the soundtrack. That's true. Yeah. The way I often decide to work on things is I... Like, for example, if a project comes to me and it's related to something or it expands upon something that I did previously, I'm like, oh, snap, this is like the universe in conversation right. with all my my past self, my present, my future. And I'm I'm always conscious of that because there's a reason that these things come into my awareness. There's a reason mm-hmm. that people come to me for certain things and I pay attention to that. So when he came to me, when Jamal, his name is Jamal Dado, he's the director, he came to me, I watched the cut, I said, oh man, this is pretty much what geometry was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I have to do this. And so the foundation of my Morse code, like leveraging Morse code as a musical language for my work was developed in geometry. And being able to leverage it even on this film was like a full circle moment um, because pretty much the 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 film is broken up into three sections um, and they all tell each character, each main character's story as they lead up to this big moment. Mm-hmm. And so the main motifs spell out the number three, the word three, and then threesome. 
Um, and Nate Laguza, the way I did the the instrumentation and even just the musicians, because there were also only three musicians. So there was Nate Laguza, there was Matthew Thompson, and there there was me, right? And so that ev- that wasn't even planned, but it was still kind of like mm. when I'm deciding also on how I bring musicians into the mix when I'm working on a film score, I pay attention to their playing style and how their playing style elevates things that I'll write, you know? And so for this, I called on Nate because Nate is like, Nate can play all different styles, but like he plays a lot of jazz stuff with one of my favorite pianists, Matt Little. And so when I heard him play, I was like, oh snap, I think I need Nate for this. And that's how that came to be. So Nate Laguza is the drummer that's playing on this film. Um, nice. Yes, Nate is awesome. The drums are just, <laughs> there's so much energy in them. And it's yeah. so, it's technically excellent drumming. And usually when I hear mm-hmm. technically excellent drumming by itself, it sounds a little show-offy. And like, hey, listen yeah. to my chops. And instead here, it seemed more like a person dancing really well, just happens to be at the drum mm. set. It was very emotional and character driven. Does yes. that make sense? It, like- no, yes, I can tell you. So the the collaborative relationship between Nate and I was fun because with this film, um, I wrote out the motifs mm. and I it was a back and forth between Nate and I in terms of how to express because Again, I agree with you. When you can feel and hear the technical prowess behind somebody's playing, it does feel like showy. And it's like, ah, uh, do we actually have to go there? Because it sometimes yeah. sucks the emotion yeah. and the rawness out of out of the performance. But when I'm dealing with musicians, and, and especially when they're playing things that I'm like writing, I, I kind of guide the conversation and I kind of guide... Um, the the way that they're not necessarily the way that they're expressing but i give them certain adjectives and things mm. that help them think about how to express what they're playing and and again we go back to john cage john cage was often very loose in this to give musicians the freedom to interpret things the way that they wanted as well these days composers are sometimes expected to to create like to compose the work to play it like they're doing everything in the box through like sample libraries and all of this stuff and it's very rare that we get to be on a scoring stage dealing with musicians and just being able to kind of have our work expressed by other people And I've done so many projects where I'm literally playing every single thing. And I'm like, no, I need 
I need some objectivity here for myself and I need to like step outside of myself and focus on like the writing part and give someone else the opportunity to express this so I can think clearly about how to, again, tell the story in a, in a more elevated way. Because a lot of times when I'm bringing musicians into the mix, sometimes they may play things stylistically that I didn't think of and it births these other ideas yeah. and it becomes a thing where we're continuously in conversation with one another. Um, and it, and it just elevates the work. And so with Nate, it was like that. And it's always fun too, because a lot of times musicians don't get this opportunity. They're stuck to playing very rigid things on a page. Mm-hmm. And I like to create maps around the things that I'm working on or that I'm composing. And sometimes it's very rigid. Sometimes it's very loose depending on what I'm trying to get and pull from people. And I actually learned this, um, not only from John Cage, but like sometimes throughout my life, I would have band directors who were very skilled at trying to communicate certain things or get students to express themselves on their, on their instruments a certain way. And when they got afraid or they got too locked into what was on the page and they weren't really playing with feeling i would i would observe how they got people to kind of come out of their element and relax and kind of add some character to what was being what was on the page because even when you see notes on the page there's still some element of your personality that you can add to the work that makes it distinct from like another person playing the exact same thing you know what i mean yeah exactly and so I try to combine the structure of writing the music and creating maps around what I'm communicating musically, but also giving musicians the freedom to be more expressive so that, again, we can get things that are really unique. And it also elevates the storytelling. And and even with you saying, you know, the drums felt like a character, that's exactly how I wanted mm. it to feel. Mm. And, and I just love that when people acknowledge that because sometimes, you know, you don't always get to, to be that um, forward musically yeah, in a film. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be very much so in the background. And even here, I had to, there was a delicate balance because I didn't want the music to be so forward and so upfront and in the way that it distracted from the the film because really the music is still a supporting element right. but i wanted it to feel like a character and also guide the conversation that's happening visually so that you know you feel like you're on this ride with the characters but you're also like you feel like the 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 drums and the music is like this other character like this invisible character yeah. that's kind of like the fly on the wall situation mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's really kind of like how I did that. And even with my vocals, like I did a lot of the vibraphone, pretty much all the aux percussion. Mm -hmm. I played all of that. My, the vocals, my vocals are all around and through this, through this score. And a lot of times I hear soundtracks try to stay out of the way too much and not not mm-hmm. express themselves. And I found 
you know, there's something that I found when listening through your work. It, I found it in geometry, which is mm. very, there's a lot of synth, there's a lot of uh, programming going on, but there is still this uh, organicness and like naturalism that mm. is uh, first and foremost. And I don't know if, is that a conscious choice? Like I heard you talking about that one track, uh, I think it was Squares, where like adding an acoustic guitar basically like mm. like made it the track that it is versus uh, you know what you're what you're working on before without it without that one like live human acoustic element. I'll say this: the way that I work is always at the intersection of like tradition and innovation. And so I'm always trying to figure out how to like push the bounds, but also leverage what works and what we know evokes emotion and what people can understand. Because at the foundation, which like I I definitely had my period in life where um, I was just so avant-garde and like, why does everything have to be have a pattern and but the 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 older I got and the wiser I got, I realized that our the our nature as human beings and really nature in general, a lot of times when you think there's not a pattern, there is yeah, even with our brains, like our brains are wired to find the pattern in a thing and to find the familiarity in a thing. I'm always playing with that and experimenting in a way that I shock myself because I know when I'm working and I shock myself, I'm like, oh snap, okay, I'm on to something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I make myself available to those moments mm -hmm. because you don't get there without tinkering, you don't get there without experimenting, you don't get there without, you know, thinking about unconventional ways to use instruments. That's great. The emotional elements are there. And if it's good, it's good. You know? If it's good, if it's, it's not, good. Hey. I mean, Ellington said there's two <laughs> kinds. There's the good stuff and then there's the other stuff. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is, that's really powerful. There's a couple things there. Uh, full disclosure, I, I always like to look for like other interviews and things to see mm -hmm. uh, what people have said before, before asking a bunch of questions. Yeah. And uh, I found a gold mine with, with your commentary album that you put out for mm. geometry. And I really yes. dug into that. And <laughs> you mentioned uh, in the past being very avant-garde wow. and really stretching and trying to trying to express something 100% new and then realizing we need some context here. We need people to have some scaffolding. Mm -hmm. There's a moment in, in um, the first track in Circles where you explain why you switch from an odd time signature straight back into 4-4 and it's basically to, to, I mean, you can explain it better, to, to ground you, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an emotional thing. That's, I mean, there's a there's an element, I remember hearing somebody mention this, I don't remember who or the exact quote, but it was like, like skill is knowing how to play in 7-8. Mm. Wisdom is knowing when to play in 4-4. Four, four. Yes. Like we need to know how to stretch and know how to push the technical boundaries, but we also need to know why four four just grooves hard. 
Yes. And dropping it back in. Think about this, right? Your heartbeat. Mm. Your heartbeat pretty much aligns with 4-4. Really, I mean, it could, line, it could align with any time signature if you wanted it to. But if you're thinking about just the regular person and how they're perceiving the pulse of something, the pulse of music in relation to their heartbeat, it's like that's the one that sticks out mm. the most. And so there's like a foundational element in terms of our tribal nature, which is also why, like, when we think about three ways. where you talk about the drums and even the voice and all of that stuff. I also was very distinct and intentional in in choosing those instruments because if we're talking about sex and it's the foundation of human civilization in terms of us even showing up here as human beings, (laughs) like our parents had to do this for us to be here. That's very tribal. That's very primitive. That's very rhythmic. That's, you know, I tried to create and pull out elements that align with that and that was subconscious, like psychologically get people thinking about that. So when you think about even 4-4 four, four, with that with that steady pulse and you think about your heart, that's like you may not understand why it resonates or why you gravitate towards that pulse or that that beat, but it's like it's the foundation of how we move in the rhythm in our bodies because our our bodies function on a rhythm. Mm-hmm. All of the all of our bodily functions, the ones that we're not thinking about, they have a rhythm, they have a system. They're functioning to their own symphony. And so when it comes to just the simplicity of it, we can do like you said the 7 8, the 5 8, like but there's still a way in my mind that you need to kind of bring it back sometimes as a grounding point so that people can lock in with mm-hmm. it because again and and even with so for example circles starts in 5 8 Not everybody can perceive the pulse when they're listening to five eight. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's frustrating for people when they're listening to music. But for me, I did that because it reflected the internal confusion and state that I was in emotionally as I'm addressing like the topic. Because basically that that song is about like being in a relationship and the person is just unclear about how they're feeling or just like they're they're running you in circles in a way where it's like one day it's a high one day it's a low and it's like you feel like oh my god this is going to work out and then another day it's like um I'm not quite sure what this person's feeling if this is going to go anywhere Mm -hmm. and so that's frustrating you know yeah but then you come to a point where you have to settle your internal dialogue and you have to say hold on let me take control of this situation and there's a level of clarity that needs to take place and so again although there is some type of symmetry to asymmetry there's still 
the clear symmetric line that 4-4 provides, the clarity that that meter provides is much different than something that's in 5-8. There's no confusion. And so that was the dynamic and, and like the polarizing part of that creating that song where it's like, okay, that part was like, okay, settle down, settle your brain. <laughs> Let's add some clarity to this situation here. Yeah. Because even in general in life, sometimes we are adding narratives and adding and embellishing things that don't need to be. And we're creating some of the confusion that we feel like other people are creating. And it's like, wait a minute, back up, relax, think clearly here. Mm. Sometimes we just have to give other people around us a little bit of four four just so they can hold on. Exactly. Man, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Why do you keep running me in circles? I can't take it. I put conditions on our love and that's my fault. Please forgive me. It's high concept stuff that you're dealing with, but it's very inviting because you're you're not throwing it in the face of the listener like, hey, try to figure out this mess. Instead, it's like, I'm going to use this high concept stuff like talking about geometry and math and asymmetric meters and Morris code. I'm going to do this to help you understand a complex story, not to hit you over the head with it. And I think that that relationship of letting people hear and understand through the sound of it, the pure, this is again, why Mm. I love music. This is why I love podcasts. This is why I like radio. This is why I like sound design. Um, because the sound of it can, can help tell the story in itself. And you're, you're, I mean, uh, you're very polymath in the way of kind of bringing people (laughs) along with the, uh, you're using the technique to help inform the storytelling, which is in its core. It's why, what you said in the very beginning, you just like this good story. And if you can use yeah. your good skills and technique as a sound designer and composer to tell a good story, like you've succeeded beyond any technical element. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I appreciate that, number one. And as I was just coming out of digesting avant-garde and all of the abstract musical work that I enjoy, and I still very much so enjoy I just got to a point where I was frustrated because some of the stuff that I was creating in that era wasn't resonating with people the way I wanted. Right. And I was like, man, I was just making so many excuses, but then I realized it's it's not about me, number one, and it's about the emotional element and it's the science. Actually, I just I just finished uh Quincy Jones's 12 Notes on Life and Creativity book. And he talks about the science behind music and why it works and how it works. And and he didn't go into the, the technical elements, but it's basically about like what you said is, you know, finding a way to incorporate some of these technical elements 
in ways that are digestible and not necessarily hitting people over the head, but but inviting them into the room and giving their curiosity space. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can present information in a way that prompts people to ask the question. But then there's also a way for you to present things where it pushes people away because it makes them feel inadequate or it makes them feel um, intimidated by what's being presented. And you can't always control that. But generally, at this point in my life, and even when I came to that realization, it's like, oh, you have to present this in a way that creates curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then... If the questions are asked, if people are curious enough, then you can go into the nerdy stuff. Yeah. If they ask. And sometimes they can discover it on their own, you know? You're inviting into a challenging situation, right? Instead of uh, presenting yeah. a challenging situation as an offense, it's more of an invitation to come and, to come and be open to it. And I mean... Yeah. I want to I want to use that as a segue into the way that you and I actually first met, right? Which yes. is so the way that we first met was that you actually saw me through Music Cares as a uh, mm-hmm. virtual uh, consultation on the Tuned platform, and yep. um, what you just said about inviting people in and kind of creating a safe place to challenge any preconceptions and then kind of give them a space to be curious and ask questions. That's basically the way that I like to think about how to approach people about either expanding their understanding of hearing health or challenge them about maybe some activities that they're doing that, that needs some correction if they want to continue doing music or, or having good hearing for a lifetime. So let me actually circle back then to this. Like what what was your experience there? What kind of brought you to make the appointment with Music Cares? I actually am very cognizant of how I digest sound and just in terms of taking care of my ears in any given environment, I'm very like on top of that. Mm -hmm. As a recording academy member, I, you know, get emails and try to, you know, leverage the the perks and things that come with the membership and I love Music Cares because that is like a branch of the Recording Academy that has some really cool activations that help just offer things to the to the to the Recording Academy like the body of the Recording yeah. Academy in terms of their health, in terms of their finances, like just all these things that help because we work in a creative industry where, you know, not everybody has the income to have certain things or like especially related to health in terms of healthcare and all of that stuff. I just love to, you know, leverage these things that they're creating because sometimes people just don't take advantage of it. And it's like, man, what? You guys didn't know they were doing this? So I got an email and I'm like, wow, I've been wanting to get my ears checked just to see where I'm at, you know, to see if I'm doing the right things. And I set up an appointment, took the um, screening and met you, Frank. And, you know, here we are. And even even just getting the feedback in terms of the results and just being able to see where I'm at, it was it was cool because I felt like, OK, cool, I'm doing some things right. But then it also prompted me to want to galvanize 
my peers and others to also be as careful about how they're leveraging and using their ears, especially working in the musical creative space and then the, and the sound space, because our ears are a part of our livelihood. Yeah. Not everybody is, is mindful and conscious of that. And even learning from you that there are only what you said, like 12 of you guys nationwide. <laughs> I wish there was more. And I think that there's a lot more who do this and understand things the way that, that we're talking about them. Um, but as far as people who devote like their full time clinical care to, to musicians, there's, there's really only about a dozen of us. That's, that's mind blowing. Exactly. And that's so mind blowing. And, that's like saying there's 12 dentist offices in it, yeah the nation. That's like, what? <laughs> I, I personally think that there needs to be 12 music audiologists in every major city because it's not just, it's not just the people like you who are making, you know, the soundtrack to step up and like you have your shows on Hulu and like you're doing this amazing stuff with the recording Academy and at the top of your game, it's also every middle school and high school player who wants to pick up a guitar or, or mm -hmm. violin or everybody who still wants to be in their, their dad rock band or play in a community yeah. orchestra or do community theater. All those people need the same care. Um, so there needs to be a million of us. I don't know. It's, it's a small sp subspecialty as it stands, though. Sometimes love is complicated And like my they can leave you confused But no matter the form is all sacred during our meeting, during our session, mm -hmm. you asked a very great question, which is something that I was moved to, to invite you onto the show about and, and some other things, uh, you know, connect you with, with Tuned and Music Cares more directly, was you said, how can I help? How can I help mm -hmm. be part of this? How can I be involved? How can I get the word out in a proactive way? Um, that's I hope you appreciate how rare that is. Um, so it was uh, no, welcome yeah, to I'm hear, realizing. you know, um, yeah. because I, very often and, you know, I'll turn it back to you, but very often we hear the opposite where I almost feel like I'm the safety police who's telling people to, you know, put down the candy and go eat a, go eat a um, granola mm, bar yeah. um, when I'm talking about turning everything down and being careful with their ears and whatnot. And you yeah. approached it from a, yeah, give me more. Let me help. Has that you said that's always been you that you've always been careful about your ears? Has that been part of what drove you to studio work versus live, or were you ever working in the live live sound world? Oh, yeah. So, um, I have worked in live sound before. I've been I've performed as a musician um, in the live environment. I've played drums at church. That was actually like my first job and was my job for a long time. Oh, cool. Um, and, you know, as a drummer, the instrument is naturally loud. So um, actually what's crazy is when I got my first drum set in sixth grade, I, I don't know if it was my dad or if because we always used to go to Guitar Center. And I don't know if he recommended it or if the guy that was selling me sticks recommended it. But I was like wearing earplugs in my room while I was playing. Nice. 
at that time, I wasn't mindful of it in terms of like the anatomy of my ear and understanding certain parts of my ear that once they're damaged, that's it. Right. <laughs> um, but I think it clicked when I got to college and one of my professors, Dr. Tomasetti, was explaining the anatomy of the ear and explained that the tiny little hairs that essentially help us perceive the different frequencies, once those start to deplete, there's no going mm-hmm. back. And so for me, that was alarming. Like, hey, you got to take care of these things as long as you can. And so even from that moment on, I st- I got intentional about the types of headphones that I was wearing, how loud I was listening to music. I, in general, I've always been just mindful of how loud I listen to things because my my father was a DJ and a musician as well. And my mom was a musician as well. She played violin. Mm. But um, my dad used to just say things here and there like, hey, like, don't listen to that so loud. Like, you can mess your ears up. And, mm-hmm. you know, even as com- coming up, I'm sure a lot of people heard that. But for some reason, it's just like, okay, yeah, like, you're probably right. Yeah. But it's just, I just thinking about the moments and the people who've made comments about protecting my ears over the course of my life um I guess it kind of makes sense that I'm at this point now because I I just really care about just my ears and just my even my peers like I've always been the person that is encouraging my friends to get earplugs and like when especially when we're going to venues Mm -hmm. for concerts and stuff and even my wife, I she's probably so annoyed with me at this point. <laughs> but actually, we went to a concert um, last year, and I told her, I said, you should bring your 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 earplugs. She didn't listen. <laughs> I brought mine, and I, when I tell you, it was so loud yeah. in there. I just took I took one of my earplugs out just to see and I immediately put it back in because I was like absolutely not. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And you know, sometimes people it takes that for people to understand that I'm not again trying to be like what you say people perceive you as is like the mm-hmm. police. And it's like no, this is a real thing. Like you could be, you know, 27, 33 with a hearing aid, if that's what you want, cool. But, you know, if you don't have to get to that point, you know, dragging dragging out the health of your ears and the function of it as long as you can to where, you know, by the time you can't hear, it doesn't really matter because you're on your way out <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's like, okay, great. I, I lived a great life. But- I don't know. In general, like I've always been impressed with older people who have very pristine yes. hearing. I'm so intrigued by that because I'm like, man, I'm I'm trying to be like you. Yes. 
And and that even brings it back to that book where I told you like um, the In Pursuit of mm-hmm. Silence, where, you know, culturally in certain parts of the world, the environment is just not noisy. So the elders are have hearing just as sharp as the kids. Yep. And sometimes it's sharper. And I'm like, yo, what? That's like, that's crazy. That's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to be like and that. And that breaks down that myth that we have, that age equals hearing loss, just because that's what we happen yeah. to see in a noisy society right. like ours. Breaking that down allows people to recognize that it's not inevitable that they will right. lose their hearing when they get older. So that then like you said, it invites further questioning of, hey, okay, if this isn't inevitable, what can I do to help prevent it? And that question, mm-hmm. that line of questioning is not available in our society unless we recognize that it's not inevitable. And so, I, you know, yeah. you just... Got to change the narrative. Got to change the narrative, man. And you just said something really important. You gave your advice, your very simple advice to the musicians, to your friends, to your peers in the music world. I'm curious if you would be generous enough to try to flip that around. Imagine you were speaking to more people like me, audiologists, mm-hmm. the safety police, <laughs> um, the, mm. the clinicians who see your friends and colleagues, uh, you know, there in Savannah or anywhere, um, your friend goes in, to an audiologist, what would you, what would be your advice to that audiologist on how to better serve that, that musician or that, that professional, that sound professional who comes in, uh, and says, Hey, I need some help with my ears. What's your advice to my audio people? I'm realizing more and more that it's about the story you create around the information and how you present it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I get why certain brands use like, let's say, a Lizzo or like a Snoop Dogg or like a Pharrell or somebody because our society in particular is is very like visual. So that's the thing that they they have to see something. And it's like, OK, from here, I trust this source. Yeah. <laughs> Now let me hear what they have to say. And when it feels like it's coming from somebody who's quote unquote cool or it's like culturally relevant or something like that, people are more open to listen. People in the field can be advocates, not only for you guys, but for ear health in Mm -hmm. general, like bringing them into the conversation so that it's not just you telling them this is what needs to be done. It's kind of like also with your parents, like your parents will tell you things and then you might hear one of your friends said and you're like, oh, yeah, actually, I think I should do this. And your mom is like, I literally just told you that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What have I been saying your whole life, honey? (laughs) Yeah. 
And so I just think it's first understanding where your clients come from and kind of getting the story behind their journey to this point with them seeing you. And so if you can get and grasp somebody's story and and listen to keywords and things that that are meaningful to them and leverage those things to like stress the importance of the information that you're communicating, I think that's the way you get people to move to action. That's awesome. That's the best answer. I mean, you know that I agree with that because that's the entire thesis behind this show is me be mm. quiet, let the music yeah. people talk. And guess what? You, you're going to say it better than I would have because I come at, I come at from the music perspective as a musician, but also I can't take away the audiology perspective that I have. Right. But hearing it from your story, from the guest's story, allows us to get to a point of, okay, the the end result of take care of yourself has more impact and more meaning. It's not a, it's not a sentence. It's a story. Um, I appreciate that. Ooh, that's a good one liner. You guys. Oh my God. There you go. Talking ears. It's not a sentence. You guys need to make some (laughs) It's not a sentence. It's a story. (laughs) It's a story. Man. I, I mean, I appreciate you because you're, I mean, the way that you're approaching this, this conversation, this topic it's with such an open heart to it and clearly caring about those around you in such a way. And, um, I mean, you, you're my Lizzo for my audience. You know what I mean? (laughs) That is amazing. No, because (laughs) that's a huge compliment. Because a person to be listening and saying like, damn, I've heard that soundtrack. Well, actually you did work with Lizzo, didn't you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah so i worked on her um the watch out for the yeah. big girls show actually yeah yeah that's what i mean like the the ability to connect to the audience member is why this is i think an impactful useful activity even though it's such a it's a time it takes a lot of time but if it connects to people uh and gets them to act and gets them to care then it's so worth it um there was one more thing that I wanted to ask you. For sure. Um, because I was going back through your available stuff that I could find on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I found an album called House of Gunt. You want to describe the house of gunt and is this something that you want to uh suggest to our listeners listen i want people to to follow their curiosity and dig into anything that they find because that's why i made it with all the spice in my cup cup with all the spice in my cup cup it was inspired by a drag collective mm-hmm. in um, Savannah actually called the House Perfect. of Gun. And the way that that came about was I went to one of their shows just randomly. I don't even remember how I heard about it. But, you know, I'm like, OK, I'm open to it. And I had I had this idea in my mind about like what a drag show mm-hmm. would be, and I got there and it was completely different. And I was like, I don't know 
any collective doing drag this way. I mean, it just completely like blew me out of the water. And I said, I have to do something that honors what I felt at this show. Nice. They were taking um, political topics. They were taking like social topics. They were just going from really, they were covering so much ground, but it was in an, in a beautiful, artful way. And even just the typical aesthetic and perception of what drag looks like. It wasn't even that either. It was, it was just crazy. Like, because even when you think about drag, a lot of times it's mainly most people who are not of the culture assume that it's like men pretty much trying to erase all masculinity to kind of blend in as a woman or just be perceived as a woman. And it, and it's very campy too. It's oh, very yeah. campy. And, and you know, um, there's a lot of exaggeration to the makeup and all of that stuff. But what was striking to me was that some of them were like in full beards and like hairy <laughs> chest. And I was like, oh, this is, this is something different nice. that I just hadn't seen. I love, I mean, I love that because drag is like at its best. It's just a, a free, fun expression that yes. at the same time, and I, I wish Juan was here for this conversation because he said an interesting thing about it uh, during one of our production meetings recently. He's like, but it's also the most artsy art possible because it's doing what art's supposed to do, which is challenge perception and make mm -hmm. you question what you came in with when you leave. Yes, that's exactly what that show did for me. That's exactly what it did. And my mouth was open the entire time. I was like, uh, did they just do like what? Nice. And then they had this DJ, DJ CC, who was just playing these deep cuts. I'm just like, man, where did you get this music? Definitely like a lot of disco stuff and a lot of house stuff. And it's it's so crazy because I couldn't even tell which era it was from. And he was playing stuff like recent stuff at the time, all the way back to like the 70s. And I'm just like, man, this is a this is an overload. And I went home that day after that function and I made less ice. Nice. And that was the beginning Such of that track. album. I literally. Yeah, I made that album in three months. I think I, I was just smiling ear to ear. Like, <laughs> you know, we had a conversation, you and I, about your very serious art music and soundtrack work <laughs> and, uh, you know, recording strings and very important. And then, you know, we're using odd time signatures and I've already listened to you, like, take apart, like, the 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 fact that you're using Morris code in these tracks. And I'm like, oh, this is so, like in depth and I listened to wait there was something a year before that it's just the most fun ridiculous dance music about how there's too much ice in your drink I was yep. so I mean it's such a pleasure but you know what though I I really try to do that in my scoring work too and and definitely like three ways because Jamal was very uncon unconventional in just letting me do my thing that's not something that happens often mm. but 
even in the midst of, um, you know, having to appease and align with many different voices with regards to like what actually sticks musically for like a show or a film, I'm always trying to divorce the seriousness that goes into it because it's like you can't play. It's like if you make it too serious, that's when it becomes too rigid and it's just too, there's no soul, there's no feeling. And for me, I work best when I can play, when I can experiment and when I can kind of um, create space for the raw and the organic things to emerge and to stick. And even like with my instrumentation, I try to limit the amount of instruments that I use so that it forces me to use what I have in new ways. Because when you have everything at your disposal, it's like you get so focused on, well, this is for this and that is for that. And it's like, okay, well, if this was previously perceived to only be used for that, but this is now all you have to use and it needs to, you need to communicate different things. Okay. What's a new way that I can use this thing or create a new way to use this thing to like do what it needs to do. I love that. And so, yeah. Like a kid Mm -hmm. would play with a box, not to bring it back to another track of yours, but like a kid would play with a box. You just see how many thousands of things you can do with it. Exactly. You got to play with your, that's so cool. I, I often am telling Mm -hmm. people that like the verb that we use in music is play. It's not work. You don't work (laughs) music. You don't, you don't build music. You play music. Uh, you play your instrument. Um, but I like, I, man, you really took it to another layer there. Yeah, that's that's really what it's about. And and sometimes um, uh, there there was also a phase where I was into the perfection of um, the mix and the recording. And I, I thought back to a time where musicians, especially really was at the beginning of like, people actually recording music where they only had a few tracks to actually capture all of the music Mm -hmm. on. So you get the room sounds, you get whatever, whatever is captured on that microphone. It is what it is. is. And even when you're recording musicians, you know, a lot of times when there were only like two mics or something or two tracks or four tracks, you had to position, if you're like working with a band or an orchestra, you had to position them in a way because there was no panning. So you would have to like mm-hmm. position the instruments and the people in the room the way you wanted it to translate with the stereo image. So I even think about like the bare minimum. If I didn't have all of these cool tools at my disposal, how would I do this? And that's really where you're I being start. being intentional with, with, the, with the ingredients. Yes, Man, again, Emily, we could talk about this for hours. Man, I I really enjoyed this. Same. I want to give you a chance at the end to plug anything you want to plug. If there's anything that you want our listeners to know that's coming up or that you're going to be releasing soon or uh, where to follow you online. My latest work is Three Ways on Hulu. So please check that out. It's such a good time. You can watch it alone or with a group of friends, preferably three at a time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yes i have so much in my catalog in my archives and there's so much to be discovered so 
you can start with three ways, but follow your curiosity from there. And that's pretty much my awesome. Spiel. And having listened to, to I want to say, most of your catalog at this point, Three Ways is a great on-ramp. It's so yes. accessible and challenging at the same time. And it's it's so fun. There's so much. It's just so, it's so fun to listen to. I mean, you captured such a great energy and such a great joy in that soundtrack. And I, you know, I appreciate you giving that energy and joy to this interview, too. I appreciate you giving your time. Um no, thank you for having of course. me. And and thank you for for doing the good fight too of helping with hearing health and hearing loss prevention because um, having your voice is so much more powerful than having my voice out there. And uh, so so thank you for that. No, thank you. And there's definitely more to come in that area because um, I'm I'm passionate about nice. it. So thank you so much. Definitely. No, it's so good to meet you. Yeah, same here. Good to beat you. Take care. No, thank you. Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. The theme music is by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. The show is produced and edited by Juan Vasquez, Scott Hallam, Mary Kim, and myself. Thanks for listening.